This is Nadia from the Relativity Podcast and you're listening to Discussing Comics. Welcome back everyone. This is Discussing Comics. I am Kyle Jones and I am really extremely geeked out to have someone on this particular episode. And why am I extremely geeked out? Oh, I don't know. Maybe because I have the host of the Extremely Geeked Out podcast on here with me, Ron Stevens. How are you? Pretty good. And I like how you kind of Slip the title in there. <laughs> cool. Well, thank you. And and brownie point for you, my friend, because I've been told that I have corny jokes and you appreciated my jokes. So brownie point for you. So, I am a fan of puns. So yes, I can I can appreciate a good pun without a doubt. <laughs> cool. So I want to talk about for a moment about you being a podcaster. And before we talk about your podcast itself, what mm-hmm. made you decide to start podcasting? Yeah, at all. What what piqued your interest about doing this? Well, starting back about four or five years ago, um, me and my friend friends we started a YouTube channel called Extremely Geeked Out Podcast. And what started that we had so much good conversations about comic books and superhero movies, you know, and movies and books or, or, show, or shows as well. And some one person, that, you know, one of our Outside of our you know social circle, they're like, man, you guys are, you should just have your own show or something. And, you know, then we're like, maybe we should do our own show. So we did. We started out with um with the YouTube channel, which it started off pretty good. It, it it had a good jump off, but um the timing of all of you know getting all this together and to uh, to uh do a video and to have it edited, you know, because honestly, audio editing. Is so much easier than video audio. Oh yeah! Oh my goodness! <laughs> oh yeah! No, you're preaching to the choir, but oh yeah. yeah, yeah, it is. It is rough and it's tough, man. And so eventually, you know, life, you know, happens. So some of us got married, um, and having kids, moving on. And for me, I moved. I was originally from Georgia, and. Me and my wife, we moved up here in North Carolina two years ago to do a video that kind of that really kind of dampened it for us for a little bit. So I suggested it to my friend Devin that we do a podcast and he was all for that. Um, a couple of other friends, they weren't able to actually do the podcast with us our season one. Every now we had them come on, I think first, no, third episode. I had one of them come on and then. I think on the fourth or fifth episode, I had another come on as well. But my co-host was Devin on season one of our podcast. Eventually, he had to um, he had to go off. He w- wasn't be able to make time to actually stay on for season two because of his new job. So it's, it's really now season two is just me right now. So you know, speaking of continuity and numbering, Clarence on his podcast that he does with his brother Carrie, they do a tech petition, a technology podcast, and they do the season version on it. But on all of the discussing episodes, we've done those sequential. What what made you decide to go the route of doing the season version? Well, you know. It gives me a little more time to to come up with more material. I think because season one um, had about seventeen episodes. I want to say yeah, about seventeen episodes. And I didn't want. And we started season one back in February, and it ended 
uh, in October, I want to say. Yep. Yeah, we, I uh, think it, that's about right. Yeah, I want to say we, in, in October. So that's a lot of months of trying to, you know, to uh, you know, just to do a whole lot of episodes, you know, just one episode. So when we decided to, um, we got. We did like a little mid-season break. Me and Devin got to talking. It was like, well, you know, what? let's just do seasons. And he was like, yeah, that way we can just, you know, take a break, you know, come up with some more um, material and then, you know, and then start from there. He's like, yeah, well, we can do that. We wasn't exactly sure how long we wanted to do season one at all first, but um, eventually um, we stopped on doing I think was the Iron Fist review. That was our last topics. And you know, I split it into two parts. But yeah, it's just it gives you more time to, like I said, to, to figure out what you want to do next, especially during midseason breaks, too. I, you know, just give you a little, a, you know, a little breather as well. I applaud anybody, all any podcaster who don't do it year round, who don't take breaks at all. <laughs> so since you began, I'm curious, what have you learned that you know now that you did not know before you began podcasting is not a overnight thing you have to take time with it really look into how you want to how you want your content to be brought presented to your listeners even granted i mean we i me and Devin, we knew exactly what we wanted i mean because we we're doing it for a while you know with the youtube channels so it was basically the same thing, but we just had a transition from video to to audio. We knew what we wanted to talk about, so but it's just basically going from vi- video to, to audio. That I've definitely learned. Take your time with recording. Don't feel like you need to rush yourself and getting it. You know, try to edit it and all that stuff. Take your time. Don't if you don't feel comfortable with what you have recorded or what you're editing, don't put it out. I mean, I mean, honestly, don't don't really put it out. Um, I actually had a double take the episode before, you know, that led into my mid-season break because there was a little audio issue with our recording uh, with my guest. So we had to <laughs> had to call him up. I was like, dude, you're not gonna believe this, but we talked for nearly two hours, two hours, and <laughs> all that, those two hours got trashed. <laughs> So we had to start over, but you know, it's, you can't like, like I said, you just can't really rush yourself, take your time and, and just be yourself, Mm. you know, don't make a personality or a, a new identity per se for, for your show. Just be you, just be you. And I guarantee you, you'll, you'll get the audience that you, that you want. So I'm going to make a prediction for you and, and I'm going to offer a, a piece of something a, advice that our, one of our co-hosts, Lee Shackelford has said many times. He loves going back and listening to our shows. And it's not because of a vanity point. It's listening for the content or the type of content that you produce. And also as an acknowledgement to yourself that you're doing something good and I encourage you to do that, but I want to compliment you on something. You do something that I think that has not everybody knows how to do it. And from what I've seen you do and a perfect example of that is you and I would not be having this conversation that we're having right now, many, many months later, if you had not have done what I'm about to say, which is you have a Nick, 
or a, an idea of marketing of how to market your stuff and whether that's tweeting about it or whether it's promoing your next episode, which is something we don't do and is something that I've been thinking about doing because of watching and seeing you promo the, your next episodes that are coming up. So kudos to you. Uh, keep doing that because I, that's what brought you to my attention was I saw you on Twitter simply because you were marketing your show that it was on a mid-season break and you were looking forward to it. And that was whenever you and I originally connected. Had you not done that, we wouldn't be sitting here tonight talking, most likely. Oh, uh, amen. I'm just glad somebody's paying attention to it. I mean, and also, I can't really take full credit of that as well because, you know, going into transition, I had to also learn a first, you know, about audio recording because when we were doing our YouTube channels, I wasn't doing the editing. It was our friend Ray who was doing the editing for the for our video. But it, um, I had to watch certain videos on YouTube on how to, you know, get everything set up, what I needed and stuff like that. But also learn some tips on far as marketing a little bit. Just it's word of mouth. You know what I mean? It is. You it's it's a word of mouth. That's how you get your 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 content out there and, and noticed is you have to get the word out. Whether it be through social media or in person, every I mean, I would like to if I could, if I had the time, I would love to go to multiple Comic Cons. But the only one I'm at the time right now I'm able to go is the one that's local to my um my town is Fayetteville Comic Con here in North Carolina. And I tried I attend to that every year as much as possible and just and I have business cards and I give them out to whoever I may talk to. I usually talk to certain cosplayers that are there, you know, take a picture with them, you know, and say, Hey man, I love your co- your costume. That's great. That's awesome. So, you know, I'm going to give them my card, you know, like, Hey, check out my, my um, podcast. Got this episode is coming out about this comic con and what I did and who I met with and stuff like that. So check it out, you know, you know, stuff like that, you know, just to get it out there. Um, well, Twitter, Twitter definitely helps me out. I mean, I haven't really been on it as much as I wanted to, but um, it definitely does help out, especially being under um, Pardon Phantom, Pardon Family. I'm not sure if you're part of that group, but um, that group definitely helps me out podcasting to actually get people, to, other people, other podcasters together, and just basically lift each other up. You know, just to encourage each other, give us each other's tips to promotional swap. Basically, you have like an ad. You make up your own ad and you put it on other other people's podcasts. Ah, sweet. Yeah, and I, I've done a couple of before on, on season one and season two. Um, and I'm more than open to put um, other podcasters on my show. Tell me a little bit about yourself and what brought you to comic books? <sighs> I have to say, I, I grew up in the 90s where comic books were getting into the media, where you had like Batman, animated series, uh, Spider-Man, X-Men, stuff like that. So those shows that came on an, on a Saturday on a Saturday afternoon or Saturday morning, rather, and then afternoon after school, those intrigued me to get into comics when I got a little older. When I got into comic books, my very first comic book I read was... Um, Michael Bendis, Ultimate Spider-Man. Ah, okay. That, yeah, that was my my very first comic book I ever got to read. It was more. It was the uh, first volume trade. It was. It, it, it's. I mean, it's always has been intriguing. And then actually diving into more comic books after that, 
it's it just yeah it just tr- trickled from media and then just went into into on books from there yeah so you know interesting that you said ultimate spider-man because that is actually now i like spider-man don't get me wrong i oh, I, yes. I, I grew up with a few decades well I was born a few decades before the 90s, and Mm -hmm. I remember my first Spider-Man being associated with Spider-Man, with Spider-Man and his amazing friends on Saturday morning. And watching that, I remember liking Spider-Man, but it wasn't until Bendis' Ultimate Spider-Man that I ever just enjoyed reading the comic Spider-Man. Yeah. I don't know, it, to me, it, it was just it's so much fun. Yeah, like you're saying, it's so much fun reading the Spider-Man in the comic books than it was watching them on the TV shows. Not to take anything away from that. Those shows were good. And the Sam Raimi movie, the first one, was like everything to me, you know. So that's just get to see him live action. But to read it in, in the comic books, it was so much better to me and getting a broader aspect about this character. Because it, it always intrigued me because Spider-Man was... um not your typical superhero. He was a teenager. Not a lot of teenagers were, you know, a superhero. If they were, they were a sidekick to another superhero and a superhero that had issues. You didn't really get to see that in other um, superheroes per se. It was like real, like real life, ordinary human issues, you know? So, and, and for him to try to battle that and also try to balance out trying to be a superhero as well, it it it, it, made, it made him a whole lot more human and a little more relatable in some sense, too. Yeah, that's why I, I, I say Spider-Man is like my favorite superhero. All right. So let me ask you a question. If you were to think of what you read in Ultimate Spider-Man and even comparing to the Sam Raimi movies, specifically the first Spider-Man movie, what do you think? Bendis did the most or what was the biggest difference in his interpretation that he did in Ultimate Spider-Man versus what we traditionally had seen in Spider-Man and in the Spider-Man comics before then? What do you think was his biggest shift? His biggest shift? I think, you know, Sam Raimi, he mentioned him being a Spider-Man fan and I would have to say, yeah, I mean, you definitely can see it in his movies and all of his movies, especially in the first one. And he kind of really like took a lot of all the history of Spider-Man, even using, you know, ultimate Spider-Man a little bit and using what he knew of the classic Spider-Man, amazing Spider-Man, and just kind of meshing it into that, into the movie, because there are certain certain uh, style, like certain styles of other characters that were like in the ultimate Spider-Man and there was someone in the classic. It just seems they're a little more different and how you see James Franco, he was more of, he was more confident. He was more, he was, he was really like one of the preppy people, but he just, yeah, he was more of the preppy people, but he kind of had more of a heart for Peter. Agreed. Yeah. He was more hard of a Peter. Yeah. So, Um, so, you know, for me, I would think that the biggest change that I saw was you went from an Aunt May that had traditionally been around to being, oh, Peter, you know, that horrible, horrible Spider-Man, <laughs> to being in this comic, this vibrant person that was not, oh, Peter, yeah, horrible, horrible Spider-Man. And in the later part of that comic, she even transitioned to almost being like a 
a Professor X type character having a whole bunch of super powered kids living with her. Yeah. But you did. Yeah, you just didn't. You really didn't see that in the movie, per se. No, you did. You really didn't see that in the movie. It was I think they tried to he focused more on of her being the moral guideline for Peter. Yeah, you didn't really see her being like like you're saying, being the Professor X of you know um, of her own little household. Of her own household, yeah. So let me ask you a question. You know, that's been you know about well, the Ultimate Line no longer exists. How would mm-hmm. you say that comics have changed, even from when you got started? Because I know they have changed a lot since I got started. But how do you think since you've been reading comics? How do, do do you see the comics medium in itself changed? And if so, how? It has. And funny you mentioned that in my the latest episode I did before I went on my mid-season break, um, I had a guest on there. We were talking about comic books from the 90s and how they kind of how they evolved into what comic books are now. I would say I kind of I would say I got into comic books uh, early 2000s late 90s from then you were dealing with more so it was all about art than it was about having a good story correct and going back if you want to look in a little further back into the 90s it was yeah it was really all about art and what can they and who can be the most flashiest and the most over the top with their characters or their art and more so with um with uh, stories. I mean, Grant, there were some good stories that came out in the nineties. A lot of good characters that came out of the nineties that were no, that we know now that are holding strong to this day, right, right now to, to name a few, you know, like Deadpool, um, uh, spawn, you know, just uh, in, uh, in image comics, he had, uh, I believe X force came out of that as well. Yep. yep. X force. Um, mm-hmm. And then going into the 2000s, they're starting to get into a little more of a medium where stories are starting to be the prime aspect and the art kind of just complements that kind of thing. Now it's like a perfect balance with that and even more broader art as well. There's art to this day that's out right now that's great, that's amazing, but I guarantee you it wouldn't have flown in the 90s. It wouldn't have, it would not have gotten any kind of attention at all. So a question for you, does the art impact your enjoyment of a story? And in saying so, is there ever a time that art could take a, you know, like you're reading Spider-Man and you don't like the artwork, would that cause you not to buy this, the episode or the series or the book or whatever? Well, no, it, it, it doesn't really hinder it too much if, cause I know what I like and I know, and I know what I want to, you know, to get me into it. And, you know, and I'm a, such a big Spider-Man fan. I'm now reading the recent run on Spider-Man, which is done by, um, Nick Spencer and Ryan Otley. He's the regular artist of that. Right now, Spencer's doing, um, he just finished up the Hunted arc. And he was doing it with Roberto Ramos, who is like my favorite artist for Spider-Man. Like, I love it when he does Spider-Man. I think he compliments anybody who who really does any, I mean, um, any um, uh, Spider-Man books, whoever writes them. The regular, who is Ryan Otley, 
is not my quite it's not my type my taste but it fits in a sense if that makes sense no 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 it does it does yeah if it fits the style of what how spencer's actually doing he's writing out this story it's um uh it's it's definitely a different take it's a different take from reading it with dan slot who's been writing it for almost well he read i think he's been writing for like a decade it's definitely a fresh take on spider-man now after having dan slot for almost for 10 years I, and he's done and he's had a and dan slot has written with a lot of artists he's done uh, uh ramas plenty of times but he's done other, other artists as well but um yeah as far as but yeah as far as like art yeah it it's good to have a good balance with someone because for an example I, one of my favorite duos is Zach, uh, Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo with Batman. Okay, they're like on there. They can do any Batman story, and I will. I will definitely read it. Um, I just read their Black DC Black Label book on uh, Batman last night on Earth. It's it's really good. It's 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 really good. As it, they did everything to actually keep you interested in for what's what's in store for issue two and yeah it's it's definitely one of the books you want to read it i highly recommend it you made a reference to someone being on the book for a long time and i'll go ahead and start this question with giving my opinion i remember as a kid when i was first reading comics, I would get my stack of Avengers. I would get my stack of uh, uh, Fantastic Four. I would get my stack of Uncanny X-Men and I would get my stack of, you know, this and that um, Superman or whatever else I was reading. And I would make sure that I've got issue, you know, 315 and I don't have any others to 320, but oh, I got 320 or et cetera and so forth. And I'd make sure all my numbers, you know, were lined up. So if I ever wanted to go back and read them, they were there in sequential order. Mm-hmm. The way that comics are done today is you have, let's take Amazing Spider-Man number one. In 2015, mm-hmm. number one in 2016, number one in 2018, and number one in 2020, maybe. How do you think, what's your opinion on this trend, I will call it, in comics to number one everything every couple of years? Well, you know, Legacy had done a cool thing with it when they started to, you know when they constantly start over another one but they do keep up with the overall number like amazing spider-man number 22 is actually the legacy number 823 right um i it's different because i i think for some reason uh, they doesn't comic books now publishers they don't want to i guess lose inch uh, lose their their readers in like in bad writing i guess because like, like i said snyder and cupulo were great with batman they did good but they also it seemed they almost was running out of ideas towards the end of their run with batman and i think that's what publishers now they're what they're trying to do is prevent all that happen like they want when a writer comes up to them, they say, "Hey, I want to do this with with uh, Captain America, and I got this plan for him. What do you think?" They're like, "Okay, yeah, that's great, but 
we got to simplify it a little bit. You might have that for a good 50 issues. So we're going to do that for 50 issues, and then we'll let so-and-so take over, and that will be their next run for number one. So basically they don't I just I don't think they want to like I said they don't want for it to be a run on sentence cuz I don't know if you felt that way about older comic books uh it seemed that it just kept on and on and on and on without having mm. an, a end to it. So I guess what I'm saying is comic books today now they want to be they want to have a clear narrative to the character. Maybe it's because the way I was exposed to comics back in the day was I looked at a comic that had a hundred issues or 150 issues as being, well, I, I might want to invest in reading this because it's been around for a while and chances are it's going to stay. Whereas mm-hmm. if there was a comic that was in the teens, you know, like I'm looking at issue 170 or I'm looking at issue 17. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wonder if this this book might get canceled because it's only you know it's fairly new. I wonder if it's going to stay around. That's really how I looked at it back then as the continuity. I knew writers were going to come and go, right? Right. But I and on the flip, I saw it as oh well, the, you know, this is Uncanny X Men one eighty seven. Oh, this has been around for a while. But on the flip of that, as I got older and started making those stacks. It was kind of cool from the collecting point of I've got 178, 179, 130, 130. You know, you see what I'm saying? You know, you mm-hmm. have that continuity. Whereas now, if I were coming up with stacks, I've got 15 stacks of X-Men because X-Men is uncanny in the last 10 years have had, you know, they ended the original, rebooted it, then rebooted it again. And now they've got it yet again. Right. And, you know, and I think that's another issue they, they're trying to deal with is that the history of all their comic books, there's a lot to take in. And believe it or not, out of the 80 years Marvel has been around, there's only been since, I would say since the the arrival of Captain America after he was um, in that ice hibernation. Right. There's only been 10 years that's passed. Ten, only yeah, yeah, for, only, for Marvel time, yeah. For Marvel time, there's only been 10 years. So you also had to take all of that what's happened and then saying that it's only been 10 years, that's a lot of information. And trying to figure out, okay, when did this happen and when did this happen? You're saying all this all happened at the same time or, you know, where did they find time? You know, when did they get a break? You know, like it's almost starting to be convoluted or just starting to contradict itself almost mm. in, in a, in a sense. Yeah. So maybe, you know, if you're getting convoluted and you've got all this history, you could do like DC comics did in 1984 and say, Oh, let's just wipe everything clean. Crisis on infinite earths and start everything right. over again. I, and that's the thing. I mean, Marvel has done like small, like light reboots, but nothing like like a full clean slate like they did with new 52 but i i mean think it's time for dc to i mean marvel to do that especially now with their movies and that's really in a whole lot of other people in like new fans in and they want to get into probably want to get into comic books themselves i think it's i think it would be a best time to actually you know start over and just retell 
all these characters, all, you know, retell the Marvel universe. You know, it's interesting you brought that up because they had an opportunity to do that about three to five years ago at the Secret end. Wars. Exactly. You took the yes. words out of my mouth. Secret Wars. Yes. They had thought, that opportunity. Yes. I really thought that's what Jonathan Hickman was doing with um, his run with the Avengers and New Avengers. And this is going to wrap it all up because of the whole story about how all the universes are, you know, colliding with one another. And um, the Beyonders are coming to, to, you know, just clean slate everything. And that made you think, oh, well, here comes a reboot. They're going to do what DC are doing with New 52. And then they came up with uh, with the all new, all different line. Yes. Um, yeah. It and, and basically it was not really a reboot. It was just to consolidate what they were doing it was just to consolidate the ultimate universe and other few other um elseworld type stories they had going on at the time and uh, and if you think you know you take it jump a couple of years later other than miles morales name me one thing from the ultimate universe that is even though they say it still exists out there now but other than miles what do you think or name me one thing that still exists from the Ultimate Universe. Let's see. Well, you still have Nick Fury. Sort of, kind of. Yeah, sort of, kind of. You still kind of have him. Um, I think at one point they had, um, what was Thor's hammer? Somehow Thor's hammer came in. Yep, you're right. Uh, yeah, somehow made it into the... Um, he, he got that hammer when he was unworthy of having the, um, you know, Mjolnir. Didn't, yeah. he, didn't he get uh, the hammer that was the other Thor's hammer? I uh, think so, I maybe? It wasn't Thor that got it. It was, um, Lord, help me. Uh, it was Valstag, I believe, that yes. had it. Yes, yes, yes. And I it made him, right. Yeah, it was Valstag that had it, and it made him go crazy. Because um, the power of it was too much for him, I guess, or whatever. But, um, yeah, he you had that hammer. I think they call it the Warhammer on in Earth six one six. What else came out of Ultimate Universe? Uh, uh, Evil Reed. Evil Reed is still around. Evil Reed, yeah. Evil Reed is still around, and the Triskelion is still. Yep. Like, well, the, well, I mean, it's not. I guess you could say is they rebuilt it basically, but it's still and, there. To some, yeah. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. and they did keep for a couple of years, even though there's not a book now called that. They kept the title Ultimates around for for a little while, and now they, you know, that book is defunct. But um, they kept that for a couple of while. But let me ask you: you mentioned the New Fifty Two from DC. We've mostly stayed with Marvel, other than mentioning mm-hmm. Crisis. And you and you did mention Batman, but did you see the initiative as the new 52? Do you see that as being a success or a failure? Which which do you think it was? Ultimately, overall, I mean, it was a hit and miss, but it was it it was a failure over overall. Why do you think so? It's fine if you were trying to, like I said, trying to retell the stories. But it seemed as though they were trying to re, like, I guess, reach, like, recorrect or try to redo or change their, some characters' perspectives or personalities or the way they look. It just didn't really fit. Like, how you made Superman to be more brash and more cocky versus to where he was more the all American, you know, Boy Scout. Right, right, right. Look at Superboy. 
you turned that character into something that was totally what, unrecognizable. Yeah. Yes. yeah, it was it was not what it was supposed to be at all. Wonder Girl, Cassie Sandsmark, totally unrecognizable. Another, yeah, another one. Yep. Um Okay, I, I don't mean to jump over you, but Supergirl, you know, she became, she went from being sort of like your kid sister next door to being someone that was, again, totally unlikable. Yeah, especially when she became a Red Lantern. Yeah. And yeah, she that was, that was weird. <laughs> that was, that was a weird, very weird moment. Her being, um, being, I mean, I, I, I don't. I didn't really read it, but I heard about it. But it was. I'm not sure her full understanding. Why would she become a Red Lantern? I but. think, if I remember correctly, it had something to do with she was fueled with rage from them saying that she remembered so much about being on uh, Krypton or the asteroid that had you know where her city was with her parents and losing that. That, that she had so much rage built up, and that was why the Red Lantern sought her out. Huh. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, I mean, yeah. I, I, I understand it, but I'm like, okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, even with Wonder Woman, you know, I mentioned Wonder Girl, but you, you took Wonder Woman's origin and s- totally did away with the idea of she was made of clay to then she was the daughter of Zeus, which they that kept. didn't really yeah that didn't bother me too much. I thought that was pretty interesting. I mean, it definitely made it seem make her seem more more invincible than what she's been in in history, and made her more of a because some people thought of her as being an equal to Superman. Yeah, agreed. It was, but it, I think giving her that origin just kind of solidified it even more. Her, she being the, a daughter of the greatest god, Greek god that has ever been, you know. So you have that. I mean, it made it definitely made her seem more of an equal. I the one hit is because I like this. <clears throat> excuse me, I like this one writer who uh, Charles Soule who did Superman and Wonder Woman. I actually like that. I actually like that. That was actually pretty good read. What about so? Okay, you mentioned Superman and Wonder Woman. What did you mm-hmm. think of the pairing of the relationship, doing away with Lois and Clark, and having Diana and Clark? Hmm. It was interesting. I, I thought that was pr- rather interesting because it was definitely interesting too. Because I always wondered that because pre pre prior to New Fifty Two, Wonder Woman was kind of sort of Batman's love interest, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. No, I could say they always hinted. You know, it's it's interesting with her being the primary female or, you know, the 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 biggest and west best known female DC character in many ways. It's interesting right. how they have always in in the past and even in the present wanted to hint at relationships, either whether it be Batman or at times, whether it be Aquaman, you know, it, it's like they have to point her toward the direction of a man with, and, as opposed to letting her stand on her own. On her own. Yeah. 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 I agree with that. But I feel like if you had to pair her, pair her with someone, she is like the new 52 Wonder Woman. She is the daughter of Zeus. I mean, she is the most powerful woman superhero there is. So 
who can really actually be considered her equal? Yeah. Superman. Absolutely. Superman. Absolutely. So that, therefore I would, that I actually understood that for having her origin story and having, you know, that's being said, I understood that, that, that relationship coming out. It, it would, it would understand, it, it would make more sense of having, okay, Superman would probably would have something, have some kind of in common with her. Cause okay, I have all this power uh, and I need to, you know, keep control of that. And how do I do that? Or be, you know, just be some, have someone that was somewhat relatable to what he was going through. And you have one of them right there. So yeah, I, I thought that was actually an interesting and, uh, you know, a pretty good read. So let me ask you, we've gone back and forth between Marvel and DC, just talking in general. Let's say someone told you tomorrow the powers of B of comics tell you henceforth you cannot read but either Marvel or DC. Which would be your choice? If you had to choose going forward, only reading one of those two companies' characters, which company would you choose? Hmm. I would have to choose Marvel. Mm, okay. Um, Why? Yeah. I would have to choose Marvel. And I was, my reason why DC have gone through technically two or three in history, three reboots, but two of the most recent in history, you know, with Rebirth and, and New 52. New 52 as overall was just not, you know, just not the best, you know, narrative they had. So you came up with Rebirth, which started out great it was leading up to leading up to them actually i guess going against or having the watchmen you know enter their main universe and it seemed that it just kind of uh, flaked off a mm. little bit yeah so this week it kind of flaked back in and uh have you read the most recent doomsday clock episode no, I didn't. Okay. Well, after we finish recording, I'll, I'll tell you about it because I don't want to spoil it for anyone that's read it. And right, right. then have you been reading Heroes in Crisis? I need to catch up, but, um. Do you know who the killer is? I should say. Not, okay. not yet. Not All right. Yet. So I won't spoil that for you, but Heroes in Crisis, I love a murder mystery. I, I, I I've always loved murder mysteries. Heroes mm. in Crisis is a murder mystery. But I, unless they do something, uh, you know, in the next 18 or 24 months that changes my perception of how that story ended, I did not like what they did simply because of what they did in Rebirth. It was just like a middle finger with the uh, whole entirety of Heroes in Crisis to me felt like everything they said in Rebirth, they just turned around and middle fingered you uh, <laughs> with Heroes in Crisis. But I'll let that kind of be as a spoiler for you. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you want me to tell you, and I'll tell you after we finish recording. I, I mean, it, I, I'm not that, I'm, yeah, I'm not that big on, I mean, you can tell me. I, it's not going to ruin it for me. I'll still read it. Yeah. All right. So, yeah. so having said that, if you have not, uh, for anyone listening, if you have not read Heroes in Crisis and do not want to know, put us on pause, go out and yep. read the episode because from this moment forward, spoilers. 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 
Spoilers. So the spoiler warning has gone out, and if you have stuck around or you've gone out and listened, you know that Wally West killed a bunch of people in Heroes in Crisis. And uh-huh. that, to me, after Rebirth, was the middle finger of DC saying, you took this person that you addressed as being the hope you know, in the light, and we're giving you back something that we took away from you in the new 52, yeah. and now you're making him a killer. Uh, yeah, that's yeah, that's that's the big middle finger right there. Yeah. And, <laughs> and then at the end, you go so far as to saying Wally West from five days in the future goes back into the past to tell the Wally West that just did the killing that you need to go in the future with booster goal and make a clone of the dead body and then you got to go to prison and then now i'm gonna not and then everything's oh, gonna be man, right that's, but you still killed all these people like you, you that's even worse you realize the mistake you made in your story and then you try to mop it up with <laughs> yeah but, but by going to the future and getting a dead and, and cloning a dead body of yourself oh, uh, man. all because you can't go back <laughs> into the past because barry went back in the past and created flashpoint so i can't do that so i'm just gonna kill everybody i kill these people and be done with it duh that was so stupid Oh man, Kyle, you just you just validated my point why I'll just go to Marvel. <laughs> okay. See, see, there you go. <laughs> but yeah, I mean like like I said, there are a few good books in the rebirth because I liked I liked Flash. I liked um Wonder Woman. Um up until a point. I mean think I've read it because they're now issue like almost they're like in the fifties right now, I right. think with Wonder Woman, but I think I read up into like the teens or the twenties. But um, it was there were good reads. It was definitely re- good reads. Um, one of them it was a slow burn, a very slow burn, but it it definitely kept you interested without a doubt. But um, Batman, I, I I haven't read Batman, but I heard nothing but good things with Tom King um writing on Batman, which sh- shockingly enough that he's go- well, it's not too shocking because I found out that um Tom King's going to be helping Ava DuVernay write the new gods movie ah but uh yeah that's why he's leaving um the batman book interesting very mm-hmm. interesting so for me i would i i think i would go with marvel and mm-hmm. the way i rationalize that is if i had to live as a person in one of those universes which universe would I live in? And I would live in the Marvel universe. I wouldn't want to live in the DC universe. So I would, I would choose Marvel. Yeah. You don't have a whole lot of, you know, intergalactic crisis happening in Marvel universe. Not that much anyways. No, not, not entirely too much. If it is, earth is like, okay, it's all right, but it still might be in danger, but it's okay. But, but DC is always, always, Always in turmoil, <laughs> no matter what. So let's, you know, let me segue into the next question by asking you, considering that you are presented with a company that's characters already in turmoil, but you may have a company and you have image out there. You've got Boom Studios, you've got IDW, mm-hmm. you got all of those out there. Mm-hmm. Tomorrow, you can write a comic book 
for any character, for any company, which character would you choose or group of characters? It could be a team book. Which character or group would you choose and why? Hmm. Which, you know, I wouldn't choose any of the ones that I know of, like Marvel's. And I wouldn't choose Spider-Man or the Avengers. You know, I would I honestly would want to write my own. Okay, cool. I would I would love to actually write my own um, superheroes and whoever. Let's just say I don't know. Let's say that boom, or let's say Aftershock, since they're like the most recent comic book um, publisher uh, publishers out there right now. Um, that would go to them probably, maybe. Let's say if they if they were interested in bringing a side of superheroes that we haven't seen before quite yet. Like put them in into a more realistic situation, you know, to where you have all these superheroes with all these crazy, stupid, strong powers. There's got to be some kind of regulations on that. Right. Right. Like, right. There, there has to be some kind of sense or some laws or some way to actually, you know, to keep this on, un, un, you know, under control. What did that make it that way or try to simplify some people's powers, like how in the Marvel comic books you have mutants, you have inhumans, and there's some way, somehow, there's only like one slight differential to separate the two, which really, it's not that much of a difference, I mean, because they're both, I mean, it's it's pretty close, I mean, there's only, you only have like, Kree, that's who created the inhumans, and you have Right. In a sense. So bringing all to one category and call them hybrids, you know, something like that or whatever. And that that, that would be your your people with power with abilities. Like there was one character I had in mind one time. I was it was somewhat like a Superman, but wasn't from some, you know, dying planet. And his parents sent him off to Earth or whatever. But he was homegrown and he ended up getting his powers. He became like he ended up being super uh, being a Superman type character. You know, how would people react to that? How would people react to a a being with that much power? Would they fear him? Would they accept him? Would they worship him in a sense? Um, and having all that, you know, that power, how would that affect him? You know, like. Would he realize his powers are too much for him? Would he embrace them and be humble by it or, or realize his powers are meant for more greater things other than just, you know, being on Earth, you know, saving the world? Maybe he can save other worlds as well. It, it's sort of like it almost goes into the psychology of what makes a person tick, because technically from what you're describing to me, this is just any other person that just happens to have powers. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And yeah. so what makes that person tick and what makes them choose to either take over the world or save the world? Right. You know, and sometimes it, out of all the Superman books I've read or movies I've watched, Superman, in a sense, almost gets on my nerves sometimes because it seems like nothing really can get to him, per se. I think the best interpretation of Superman was Zack Snyder's Man of Steel. 
Okay, see, brownie point. Okay, okay, let me ask you a question. Did you like Superman versus Batman? Yes and no. <laughs> okay, so Brownie Point has halfway it's it's dangling now. It's half it's still halfway there, but halfway dangling. So tell me synopsis of why you think that was great cuz I, I convert me here. Oh, you're talking about Batman versus Yeah. What I liked about uh Zack Snyder's Man of Steel is that you got a Superman that had fe- like actually had feelings. Actually was, you know, had to consider about using his powers you know do i use them or or do i not all because of his being brought up with the kids and you watched this whole his upbringing how he was raised with them he was constantly trying to keep his powers under wraps even when he was constantly being bullied at school he wanted to use his power so bad to beat up on those kids that was messing up with him but he he did all his best to refrain that Going a little further, when he was when he got older, and he finally realized who he was, where he came from, and he, and how he was, what he was really on earth meant to do, and then he had to fight Zod, and you just see how he was just not really, oh, I guess he was so he was confined. He didn't want to kill Zod. He didn't want to do that. But he realized that Zod was not going to stop doing what he wanted to do. And in killing him, that really like messed messed him up a little bit. He didn't want to kill somebody that he that basically he had the last you know connection he had with his home world. You okay, know? all right, I, I I give you that, and, and I agree with everything you just said. Uh, I, I want to transit. Well, let me ask a question before I transition into Superman versus Batman, which mm-hmm. is. Amy Adams, great actress, but was mm-hmm. she Lois Lane to you? Did she do a good job as Lois Lane? See, my best interpretation of Lois Lane would be in the 70s with the Christopher Reeve Superman. And I have to comp- try to compare that, how she performed. Uh, I think she did a decent job. It probably could have been better, but it was decent. I, I agree with you. And... I think she may could have done a great Lana Lang, but I did not feel, and again, I think she's a great actress, but yeah, I yeah, just yeah. don't think she embodied what I felt as Lois being. She just did not have the presence that I needed from Lois. And, and that could have been nothing more than direction that she was given. It could have been the scene she was given, but I just did not feel Lois Lane come, you know, no, that she, I don't, yeah. And I think it was like, I think it was because of the direction in the movie and it was more focused on Superman than it was her. Cause I, she really, I, she didn't really have that much time, I guess. True. I think she had her best scene in that whole entire movie is when she was in the Antarctic or was it the North pole? I think, I think it was Antarctic that we're in. Um, they were in Antarctica. I think that was her best interpretation of Lois Lane. After that, it it didn't seem as Lois Lane to me. I guess because like I said, but like I said, it was more. It was after that point, it was more focused on Superman than anything else. Um, it was just something. It was not really meant for her to, I guess, to shine. That moment, her being on Antarctic, I think that was it. And then after that, it was all about 
Henry Cavill and him being Superman after that. Got you. So speaking of something that did not shine very well, that would be Superman versus Batman. So really, <laughs> really briefly, because I want to talk about your podcast before we wrap up. Okay. What, you, you know, you said that it was yes and no. So what did and did not like about Superman versus Batman? What I liked about Batman v Superman was what was all in store for future movies. Because this was supposed to be the, I guess you can say, their rebirth for their rebirth you know, issue for the DC Cinematic Universe. But the issue of that is that they kind of shot themselves in the foot at the same time on how they were going to start it off. Versus because I think th their problem was is that they were trying to catch up with Marvel Studios and what they were doing, which that should have never been the case at all. I think they clearly aren't going to catch up with him because by the time Batman v Superman started, I think phase three was already well underway with Marvel Studios. But you had Batman v Superman where you was going to have, of course, have these, you know, two iconic superheroes butt heads apparently towards the end of the movie but also tell you're at the same time trying to tell other stories that's going to happen at the same time you know it's supposed to happen in later on in the future movies and it was supposed to basically start the justice league which was cool at a sense but here's a problem you killed off superman yes <laughs> yes you, you you killed off superman and for order the justice league to even start to actually you know to to be formed you need a trinity that can't happen if you don't have Superman there, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so that was the issue. But I thought, okay, maybe they're going to do it was New 52's Earth 2 storyline where when Darkseid kidnapped a Superman and basically brainwashed him to be his herald and ravaged Earth. I thought that's what they were going to go with since since um, Stephen Wolf was supposed to be the next big villain for Justice League. Oh, you mean bad CGI guy? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, but um, I thought that's what they were, they were trying to do. But fast forwarding through Suicide Squad, ugh, and what else came after? Oh, it was just Suicide Squad, wasn't it? Yep. 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 So, Suicide Squad and Wonder Woman, which I mean, I, I like Wonder Woman. That, that was fine. I, I, that was okay. You went to Justice League, and then really, all Justice League really was was for you to make this grand entrance for Superman. And you, you didn't this, need that. I don't you think you really didn't need to do that. You you like you just fat, like you just did two base. If you take away Batman v Superman and Wonder Woman. You really just did one movie that really had nothing to do with the whole cinematic universe to lead up to Justice League. When you could have had a whole, like you could have put in Aquaman or The Flash, you know, to tell their story. Or if, for some reason they wanted to do a cyborg movie, you could have put a cyborg movie in there as well to tell his story leading up into Justice League. Okay. That, so let me that, pose this question to you. Okay. What mm -hmm. if you would have had, instead of Don't of Boredom, what if you would have had a movie to where you introduced Wonder Woman, you introduced a new variation of Batman, and all three of those 
DC characters had to work together and they could have still kept Doomsday as the main villain. You know, they could have taken it directly from um, the second Superman that we were referring to a moment ago, where he has killed Zod and Luther, played by someone else other than Eisenberg gets the remains and you get this creature that's doomsday and Superman can't do it alone. He brings in Wonder Woman. I mean, you know, they meet Wonder Woman. Uh, he meets Batman and the three of them still, you have that climactic, you know, ending that they defeat doomsday, but you don't have that entire hour and a half or however long it was that made no sense that Batman was running around trying to murder Superman because that's ultimately <laughs> what he was trying to do was kill Superman. You know, it, it, yeah, because of his, I guess it was fine because of him. On my point, this is where I say it was okay because of what you got in the beginning of that, how you saw Superman fight Zod in Man of Steel and Batman was there watching all that happen. And he watched how, their fight killed all those people in Metropolis and hitting it more hard to home. He had a, he had a business there in Metropolis and that building came to, you know, into rubble after that scene where Zod like finally had uh laser vision. So he'd like just sliced that building in half and it came down and all his people were dead. All his sight, all his anger is going towards man of steel or Superman. And he doesn't really trust him. He doesn't sure. He's not sure because he has this like, what if something pushes him off the edge? Who's going to stop him? Okay. I give you that. And the way you laid it out right there, I, I agree with that. That, that, that was very good, very well, well laid out. Yeah. But, but what breaks that logic is you're Superman. I'm Batman. I'm talking to you. Somebody runs in and says, Martha and I look at you and and we look at each other and we go Martha that <laughs> is logic out the window. <laughs> I, I mean, I guess he's just not really um, over the fact of losing his parents. Yeah, but 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 do you? I mean, am I wrong but, in that? I mean, do you not see that as kind of or or, am I, or if you disagree with me, please do. But no, but is that not like you spent all that there, time and energy doing yeah, that? There's yeah, I mean his. Anger towards him was a little bit much. I mean, at some point you have to, because of him being Batman, you had to realize that Lex Luthor was trying to throw a ruse under you, trying to get you guys to kill each other. Agreed. And yeah, you should have figured that out. Cool. The, it also, I will say the theatrical. Have you watched the ultimate version? Ultimately, no. Okay. Well, Sorry. I, 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 no, I, no, no, no. I love, I love making my hater raid for Superman <laughs> versus Batman any, anytime I can. So no, uh, I have not. Yeah, I'm not. Understandable, understandable. But if the theatrical version from Clark's point of view makes him seem, like you were saying, it made him seem just a straight up hater on the Batman. In the ultimate edition, you actually get to see what he was actually trying to find out. Like he was actually investigating Batman. He went to Metro he went to um, Gotham trying to figure out this you know, the whereabouts of Batman, what he's been doing, and you know, why is he doing what he's doing. And um that that made more sense because it just seemed like he was just more like he was just being a hater, basically. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. I mean Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. And then you have the ultimate com- uh, the ultimate edition that it made it finally gave it it gave it made it more sense of why these two were about to clash each other. Uh, um, well, maybe one day you know, I can meditate really, really, uh, you know, a couple really, of hours, really really, 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 really good, and you yeah. know, and be really, really relaxed, like, and maybe I can uh, light some candles. You yeah, know, exactly, and, and maybe <laughs> go into Superman versus Batman: The Ultimate Edition, <laughs> the, the Martha but, Edition. But you know. And also, you know what? Justice League makes it a no for me because of everything that happened in Batman v Superman didn't really come to fruition in Justice League, if you really think about it. Right. True. The scene where Flash, I'm not sure he just went into time, like came from the future to warn Batman or it was just a dream or whatever. But he warns Batman about Superman that... um Saying that you know Lois is the key to to everything about him, I guess, and he's going to and Superman's eventually going to do what basically what he thought in his head he was going to do: go crazy and just destroy Earth. Superman dies, and then it's Batman v Superman. So really, it makes you think: okay, that dream state was for not. <laughs> yeah, it was for not, and then Justice League just really confirms it because like okay, he's dead now you bring him back to life and he has one little pissy moment where he's basically kicking everybody's tail and then he's all good after that agreed agreed (laughs) so you're telling me that's what flash went back in time for to warn bruce about but i think that is prime evidence of what you said earlier that they are playing catch up with Marvel, who laid out this intricate plan beginning in 2008 and then acted upon it. You can't, in 2015, try to retcon all of this intricate building that took years for Marvel to make. You can't do that. You really can't. You really can't. So now now they've put themselves in a position where they just have to make good movies. Agreed. yeah, whether or not they they connect per se, but you, you just you you're in this position now where you're just going to have to really just slow down and just make, like I said, just make good movies. I want to give you an opportunity to tell everyone listening how they can find the extremely geeked out podcast. Where can they go and how can they find you? Well. I'm gonna tell you, it's not that hard to find me, honestly. Um, I'm mainly on Anchor, but the beautiful thing about being on Anchor is that they distribute your podcast on other platforms. So I'm also not on Anchor. I'm also on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Podcasts, uh, Spotify, Audio. I think it's uh, Radio Public as well. Just about every. I mean, any audio platforms there is. You can find me on there as well. Good deal. Well, you're also on Facebook, and I will put a link in our show notes below on how to find you. But, Ron, I want to say that it, it can, I cannot believe that we have been sitting here almost an hour and a half talking. This has been a lot of fun. You know, when you're having fun, you don't really think about the time, my friend. <laughs> that is quite true. That is quite true. Well, you know, I enjoyed having you on. You're welcome back anytime. Uh, I'd love to get an episode on where we've got Clarence or, and maybe Clarence and Lee on where we can all be on at one time. But for me, I thoroughly enjoyed having you on. I appreciate your taking your time tonight to on a Sunday evening to sit down and talk comic books with me. 
Oh man, dude, pleasure's all mine. I, I'm glad to be on here, dude. It was like I said, like you said, it was. It's been amazing talking with you about comic books, which is like my favorite topic of all cool. time. Cool. So, well, I think we'll have something in common. So again, you're welcome back anytime. And for anyone listening, we appreciate you being here. We appreciate your time. You know, check us out on Patreon. You can find us at Patreon.com/slash/discussingnetwork, and also find us on Facebook at facebookcom backslash groups slash discussing network again thank you for joining us and we will be back next time you've been listening to the discussing network find out more at discussingnetwork.com network.com